0: Kingdom Justice is a new series that we are starting today. It's a four-week series. We're taking a break from the Book of Matthew. We will pick up the Book of Matthew in February and then finish that out on Easter. Um, but Kingdom Justice, we're going to spend four weeks. We're going to talk about it today, generally, and then over the next three weeks, we're going to zero in on particular uh, justice issues and justice causes. Next week is Martin Luther King Day. We're going to talk about justice for the marginalized. Following week is Sanctity of Life Sunday. We're going to talk about justice for the unborn, and then the last. Last week on January 29th, we've got a guest speaker from Destiny Rescue talking about justice for those uh, victims of of human trafficking. Um, Here's the thing about justice. We all have a justice button. We all have uh, a a button inside of us that gets triggered and pressed when we feel like something is not right, not fair, not happening, the guilty are going free, somebody who's guilty of something, uh, isn't caught, isn't exposed, isn't... uh, paying for their crimes. It can rile all of us up. Some of us have a more sensitive justice button than others. I can get particularly riled up if somebody's getting away with something. Um, I can get riled up if somebody I care about is being misunderstood or misrepresented or falsely accused. If I'm being misrepresented or misunderstood or falsely accused. I can get riled up if somebody who is innocent or vulnerable is being taken advantage of or abused. I can get fired up. Sometimes I can take it too far. Right? If the Verizon company charges us too much on a bill, my justice button can get triggered and I can get fired up for that. Um, but it's hard to talk about justice in our current climate. Is it not? It has all kinds of connotations. Just the word justice may have made some of you go, I don't want to sit through this for four weeks. I'm going to end up fighting with somebody in the church about something else. Here's the problem with this series. i got seven reasons why it's difficult to talk about justice in today's climate. Number one, the gospel has been pitted against justice in two different ways. So if you picture a road, on one side of the road there is a ditch. And on, in that ditch is the idea that uh, we are to do justice... And let's not talk about Jesus and sin and hell because that's a distraction from justice. That's a, that's a distraction away from what's important. And what's really important is let's, let's help the poor. Let's help the marginalized. Let's fix society. Let's not do the Jesus stuff because that's going to offend people unnecessarily. That's a ditch on one side of the road, and others, in an effort to uh, avoid that ditch, veer into the other ditch on the other side of the road, which is, let's only talk about sin and hell, and following Jesus, and reading our Bibles, and going to church, and let's not talk about issues in today's world, uh, because that's a distraction away from Jesus. And both are ditches, as we're going to talk about in this series. The gospel calls us to justice. We don't earn our way into God's kingdom by doing justice. It is the reverse. We're called to it. Last year, somebody said to me about talking about justice when we talked about it one, one time last January. Um, they said that I believe that if you're just following Jesus, then th- there won't be any injustices. You, you'll, you know, you're just going to want to walk that out. But that goes against the very words of Jesus, who said in his great commission, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Otherwise, if we're not teaching each other to obey everything Jesus commanded, we're not going to naturally Walk that out. There has to be explicit teaching on that. But it's tricky. Another reason why it's tricky is that we disagree over policies. When we dis- when so first of all, we don't even agree that stuff is a problem all the time. But even when we agree that something is a problem, we don't always agree on what the solution is. Um, I I just finished reading an autobiography on Jackie Robinson, and he talked about during the civil rights years in the 1960s, him and Malcolm X could agree on certain problems, but they disagreed vehemently on certain solutions. And they would write letters to each other that would be published in the papers about them disagreeing over solutions. And so when it comes to how to help the poor, or how to help uh, uh, immigrants, or, or how to help the unborn, we may disagree over policies. And then what often happens is we actually label each other based on those disagreements instead of uniting around the fact that, okay, we can agree that this is a problem and it's okay to disagree over certain solutions. Number three, we are all prone to be politically correct. All of us. All of us. I know some of you guys are like, oh, those people are or that party is. All of us are because the idea of being politically correct is... um, I'm afraid to talk about an idea that is not popular within the tribe I most closely associate with. That's political correctness. I am afraid to talk about an idea that is not popular amongst the people that I most closely associate with. And so... Let's say you're a Democrat and your friends are Democrats and you know, that's who you talk to and you hear from and you approve of and they look to them for approval. Well, let's say in two weeks when we talk about justice for the unborn, you feel a conviction that, man, something more has, has to be done and I've changed my stance on some things. You might be afraid to bring that up with your tribe because it may not be politically correct. Let's say you're a conservative Republican and you feel convicted over the course of this series that more should be done to help the poor and you're like, but you know what? That's not something that my Republican platform talks a lot about, so I don't know if I can say anything about that. I better check with my Fox News pundits to see if they approve of that, right? So that's political correctness and we're all prone to it. Our friends in high school, wherever it is, we're like, ah, is it popular, is this a thing with us? Oh, maybe not, maybe not, maybe I won't care about that then. And so we let that drive us instead of Scripture. Number four reason. Victims of injustice have a tendency due to sin to become perpetrators of injustice. This is human nature. We we justify our own sin by painting ourselves as victims. This is perhaps more pervasive today than ever before, but it's always been a thing. Slave owners in the late 1700s, segregationists in the 1960s, Abortion advocates in 2020s, looters during the George Floyd protests, all have something in common in my mind. And they all have in common the ability to paint themselves as victims and therefore to turn a blind eye to their own injustice that they were causing. Slave owners in the late 1700s Thomas Jefferson, for example, could, you know, we say, oh, how, could he, how, could he, how could he be so great at uh, standing ag- up against the tyranny of, of England and fighting for independence and then not do more to help slaves and care about that? Uh, well, w- what happens is when we can paint ourselves as victims, we can forget that we're doing some oppressing ourselves. Segregation, it's in the South, in the 1960s, who were for, you know, white bathroom, black bathroom, keep them separate, white school, black school, let's not mix it. We see that, man, what, 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 What what an injustice, but they could paint themselves as victims of a a tyrannical federal government who was coming in. How dare this government overstep their boundaries and try to desegregate and make me hang out with people who are different. They painted themselves as victims. Abortion advocates do the same thing. Well, how dare you tell a woman what to do with her body, and then we turn a blind eye to the life that's in a womb. And looters during protests, not to say that all protesters were looters, not by any stretch. I went to a protest that was very peaceful and whatnot. But there are looters who, in the name of sticking it up to the man and the system, tore down businesses and private property, many of them owned by African Americans, tearing down their businesses, not realizing it. Because it's in our sin nature when you can paint yourself as the victim of anything you can justify your own sins against others. Number five: Not every inequality is an injustice. We know this intrinsically, but our culture likes to deceive us. Um, there are more women in the education field, and I don't think that has to do with discrimination against men. Um, there are more um, black, black basketball players than there are whites. Uh, that, you know, you, you can you can look at different. I was told as a youngster that because I don't see out of one eye, I couldn't be in the military or fly a plane. I would not call that an injustice, right? I think that's better for the world that there's a little inequality there. I think we should have more people who see out of both eyes in the military than people who see out of one eye. That's just safer for our country, um, right? Number six, not everything that is unfair is an injustice. Let's say I have a kid who's in Little League. Better at pitching than the coach's son, but the coach puts the son in because of nepotism and favoritism. Is that unfair? Sure, sure, sure. Is that a justice issue to rally the troops for and get all heated about? There's a story where um, a, a man approached Jesus and said, Jesus, my brother... Tell my brother to share the inheritance, our father's inheritance, with me, and that was the custom, that was the tradition, that was the norm. You share the inheritance, and Jesus said, His response was, "Who made me an arbiter of this? Like, why, why are you coming to me?" And then He actually called the guy out for his greed. I mean, the guy doesn't have the money; his brother has the money, but he calls Jesus like, "Watch out for greediness." You want something, it might seem unfair, but you're so focused on this because of your own greediness, your own idolatry. And so there are things that may be unfair that we're like, you know what, I can't get rallied up or riled up about that. It's not something that the God's called the church to lobby for, right? And then finally, number six, not every sin and immorality is a justice issue. Right? We're all sinners, we sin, we sin against God, we sin against each other, we hurt each other, um, but not everyone, it's a justice issue. Um, I trust that most kids are in the kids' classes, but adultery, for example, it's a sin, it's offensive to God. It's, some of you have been guilty of it, some of you have been victims of it, it has caused a great deal of pain. But it's not something that I don't think the church should lobby Congress to make a law against and criminalize it and make you do jail time or anything like that. And yet the church has made mistakes trying to legislate morality when, when, when calling every sin an injustice. And so we got to be careful there. So these are reasons why it can be difficult to talk about justice in our current climate. And yet, and yet, and yet, despite all those reasons, we're going to spend four weeks talking about it. And the title of today is Justice is Not Optional, and that's why it's not optional. We don't, have, we don't have a choice, and I want to try to make the case in the remainder time that I have that justice is not optional. So with that long introduction, I want to um, do a survey of Scripture and talk about why I see in Scripture that it's not optional for God's people. In Deuteronomy 32.4, it says, The rock, talking about God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. The word for justice is mishpat, and it occurs 200 times in the Old Testament, mishpat is about giving people what they are due. Whether that is punishment for wrongdoing or protection from their vulnerability, provision for their lack. All his ways are mishpat. Nothing he does is unjust. That is our God. Deuteronomy 10.18 says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So he, he executes justice for them. He intervenes for them. He steps in for them, providing what they lack, giving protection, bringing punishment on those who would take advantage of them and, and abuse them. Throughout the Old Testament, it was four groups of people in particular that God, that it said that God stepped in and defended and cared about. The widow, the fatherless, the orphan and the poor. Oh, I'm sorry, the poor, the widow, the fatherless, which goes with orphan, and the foreigner, the sojourner, the, the alien. Tim Keller, a preacher in New York City, in an article for Relevant Magazine a few uh, years ago, said this about those four groups. He said, in pre modern agrarian societies, these four groups had no social power. They lived at subsist- subsistence level and were only days from starvation if there was any famine, invasion, or even minor social unrest. Today, this quartet would be expanded to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, and many single parents and elderly people. Any neglect shown to the needs of the members of this quartet is not called merely a lack of mercy or charity but a violation of justice, of mishpat. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power and so should we. This is one of the main things God does in the world. He identifies with the powerless, he takes up their cause. And so for us to fail to do so is a problem with him. Justice is not optional. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, in the book of Micah, the prophet Micah is called, is during the Assyrian crisis, and, and, and the prophet Micah is called to speak into a time of great political of upheaval. There was corruption going on in the courts. Israelites, J- Jerusalem leaders, were uh, taking advantage of the poor and were favoring the rich and the powerful. The, the merchant class was taking advantage of the agrarian class, the lower classes. And the prophet Micah was called to speak into that. And 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 call them to repentance, to challenge them about their injustices that were so prevalent, and to warn them about God's judgment if they didn't straighten up, if they didn't repent. It wasn't optional. It wasn't like, hey guys, if you you know you want to do this, i would be great. But the most important things are going to temple and reading scriptures. No, he's like, yo, you have to share God's heart for those who are at the bottom of the ladder. Their neglect for justice, their neglect of justice from the vulnerable was putting them in a place of judgment with God. Micah called out the corruption of the judges and the law courts. He called out the other prophets who were, who were saying, prophesying a false peace. They were saying, hey, it's all good. God's happy. We're good. We're good. We're good. While they were neglecting justice. And Micah's like, no, 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 no. You're not good. You're not good until you fix this. One of the most famous verses of the Old Testament, Micah summarized his challenge with this in Micah 6.8. He says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now they go together. Walking humbly with God means uh, I'm humbling myself under him. And I'm saying, God, I'm attentive to your heart. I'm attentive to what you care about. Help me care about what you care about. And so if we care about what he cares about, then we're going to love justice and mercy. And we're not going to just sit back and be okay with the rich merchants in courts taking bribes and, and cheating the lower classes out of what they deserved. Now, you might be thinking, but Chris, there's so many causes out there, and I don't know which ones are legitimate, which ones I'm supposed to get involved in. I get emails about water fracking. I don't know if that's important. How do I know what to do with that? And I get it. I'm one I'm not one to believe that every perceived justice and cause out there is something for us to jump into, that we're called to, that even God cares about, for sure. But where justice issues line up with Scripture, we do have an obligation. In the book of James, in case you think this is an Old Testament thing, in the book of James, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being, from being polluted by the world. James is echoing what he knew. He was writing to Jewish believers. He knew that they knew the scriptures. He's like, guys, this still stands. You're following Jesus. He still cares. Our Messiah still cares about you living out your faith. And how does it live out in particular with James here? You're caring for those who are vulnerable. You're still called to do that. Now, it's also and calls us to, to grow in character. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we've covered, loving our enemies and forgiving those who have hurt us. But in, in, in here, James is saying, and it includes caring for the widow and the orphan. You cannot neglect that. It's not optional. In the next chapter of James, in chapter 2, we're going to actually spend a few minutes here. James 2, 14 through 19 he gets super explicit. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? You, you know the right things about Jesus. You sing the songs. You maybe, you know, read the Bible. But he's like, but if it's not leading to something, is it really a true transformative saving faith? And then he gives this example. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And one of you says to him, hey, go in peace be warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see somebody in need, you're like, hey, I'll pray for you anyway. I'm running late. It's like, hey, that's an that's, that's example or a symptom of a dead faith, a faith that's not leading to change. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the the demons believe that and shudder. What's James saying? You believe the right things about God? Good for you. So do the demons. How are you different than them? Well, that's pretty scary and sobering. And, And the example he's using is your faith should be leading to you caring about the people that God cares about. Stepping outside yourself. Stepping over lines to care for folks who are vulnerable and in need. Not just talking about solutions in a theoretical sense which you and I love to do on social media and handing each other articles, right? Homeless persons on the street and we're having a theoretical conversation over here about, well, what they need is more government programs and if we you know, vote in this administration, he'll be off the street, and somebody else says no, and his government programs are making him stay on the street, there's too many handouts, and we need, he needs to learn to pick himself up, and we're having this conversation, the homeless guy's over here going, hey guys, can you just give me a piece of bread for now, while you figure that out, right? Can you just give me something now while you're figuring, and there's a place for having those discussions, but you and I love to use that, I think, or maybe just me, I'll just use me. We love to have those conversations because it makes us feel like we care, but without really stepping into it. James is saying, come on, don't be like the demons, step outside your comfort zone. You see, Jesus died so that you and I, in summary, Jesus died so that you and I could be part of his kingdom, okay? Let me, try to paint it like this as I, as I summarize it. We trust in Jesus. We trust in the cross. Doing justice and doing good doesn't earn us a place in God's kingdom, okay? I'm gonna make that super clear. We don't go out there and do something good and then go, God, you happy with me? That's not how it works. No, we trust in Jesus and we become part of his kingdom. We become filled with the spirit and we are forgiven of our sins. But as his children, his adopted children, he calls us then to go share his heart to the world, now, his kingdom is coming in the future when he returns. When that kingdom arrives on this earth, there will be no more injustice. It will be a kingdom of perfect justice and righteousness. All right? Likewise, my character will be perfected on that day. You will not experience a perfect Chris Francis until that new heaven and new earth, that day. Okay? I know I'm so, sorry to say it. Those of you who are waiting for me to grow, I'll I'll be good that day. Now, in the meantime, I can't use that as an excuse to go, hey, just deal with me as I am. Wait till heaven and I'll be easier to deal with. No, I need to try to grow in partnership with the Holy Spirit now. Well, same with justice. Even though it won't be perfect until that day, we're not to sit back and go, hey, just wait for Jesus, let the world go to crap. No, we're called as his church to bring a hint, a foretaste of that future kingdom now. We're called to show the world, oh, that's what that kingdom's gonna look like. The way they step outside, the way they give of themselves, the way they care, the way they have a compassion and don't let their busyness of life drown out that compassion. They don't just show up to church and say, feed me, I need to be fed, I need to be inspired, I need to be encouraged. But they actually go, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? As drained as we all can get with life, right? Anybody feel drained at the beginning of the year? I didn't think it would start off as draining as it was the first week of the year. But we can't use that as an excuse to go, oh, I can't think about all that, I just, it, I just need to be fed, I just need to be fed. No, God's like, hey, 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 share my heart, walk humbly with me. And share my heart for justice and mercy for those around you. Now, five, five practical implications as I close. Remember, this is kind of a, just an introduction week. Number one, wherever there is injustice, the answer is not policy, but policies matter. Policies are never going to fix the human heart. Jesus came, fixed the human heart. But he, as, as, as people who are alive in this world... Policies make a difference, right? During the, the, the time of slavery, um, you, you, you could wait for the hearts of slave owners to change. Or you could try to abolish slavery legally. Or you could do both. And I think, the, I think we would all agree, yeah, I'm glad that there was policies in place that ended slavery even while trying to change the heart of, of, of racists. Um, days of segregation. You could wait, and there were some politicians who said, hey, hey, I'm against segregation, but you know, I don't think the government should be involved. Or you could say, no, 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 we're going to desegregate, we're going to make this ruling, uh, Supreme Court, Brown versus Board of Ed, we're going to desegregate the schools, and we're going to also try to change human hearts. You could say the same thing with abortion. Yes, hearts need to be changed, but policies can save lives. You could say the same thing with every justice issue policies are not the end goal, but policies matter. And that's why there is a place for politics. I, I, I'm sorry if anybody got the impression that politics don't matter or making fun of platforms. They do matter, policies do matter. And there is a place for them in our, in our conversations. Number two, we will disagree over policies. That's okay, that's okay, that's okay. So long as we can share God's heart For the issues that he cares about, that's the most important thing. Okay, God cares about this. We may disagree over how much government intervention is too much and we're helping hurts and all that. We can disagree certainly over that. But we've got to at least agree on the problems. We've got to at least line up with God's heart for these things. Number three, we must refuse to allow political platforms to govern our heart for justice. We can't ignore scripture and go, you know, i got to check with the platform that I voted for, and make sure they're cool with me caring about this. We can't do that. And I know nobody consciously does it, but we get discipled all week long by the media and talk shows that we listen to. We spend more time in that. We spend a few minutes maybe in the Bible, and we, and, and we expect or think that the Bible's driving us. No, we're, we're getting discipled by all the things that we're putting in our heads, and they're telling us what to care about, and who to be angry at, and who to fear, and who to stop. Martin Luther King, who I'll talk more about next week, famously said this Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but one must take it because it is right. It is right. Number four, each of us will be called to be active in different justice issues, and we must not judge each other. This is important, this is important, this is important. We we, we can't all be activists. If you break those those four four groups of vulnerable people from the Old Testament, like today, you can expand that, right? Just the the foreigner, the sojourner. You can can talk about refugees from the Middle East. You can talk about immigrants from South America who who came here legally. You can talk about immigrants who came here illegally. You can just take that one category and break it up to so many subcategories. And some of us may have a heart to help uh, those from Syria, Whereas others may have a heart to help those coming in from South America. And, and we can't all be activists and everything. We can't judge each other and get out on our high horses and say, oh, you didn't give in that offering to help that one family? I can't believe it. You don't care about Joseph. Or you didn't go to the pregnancy center banquet. So I can't believe it. You don't care about this. or, or Whatever it is. You don't care about this. You don't care about this. And, and that's a, a tendency that we all have. We get passionate about something and then we look and go, why am I the only one passionate? What is wrong with all these people? And so we got to be real slow to judge each other because we're going to be called to different things. That's the body of Christ with different passions and gifts. Number five, fighting against injustice does not make us righteous. This is the last one. And it gives us no right to be self-righteous towards others. Um, I ended number four with this, but I want to make it really explicit and build out and end the the sermon with this. The gospel message starts off with bad news. We are sinners destined for eternity without God. That's the bad news of the good news. And so going to marches, if you marched with Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, that doesn't earn you a place in heaven. If you run a pregnancy center banquet, that does not earn you a place in heaven. They are good things, but they do not make us righteous before a holy God. And they certainly do not give us something to boast about. Ephesians 2, 3 says, so we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like the rest of mankind. So Paul wasn't talking to one specific group of people and saying, you guys are children of wrath. Unlike, uh, like the rest of mankind. That's you and I, naturally, the Bible says are children of wrath. And I know that's scary stuff. It might make some of you guys not want to come back. but That's what it says. That's the bad news of the good news. That's that's why the good news seems good if we can get this peace. Wow. Naturally, I am a spiritual orphan. I have in my heart this rebellion against God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. All our good deeds are are, are motivated by this uh, self-centeredness, self-righteousness. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God. I don't want God. I'm not going to bow to God. And, and, And therefore, destined for eternity... Of continuing to do what we did here, rejecting God. I want my own thing. God's going to be like, okay, you can have it. You can have it. You can have your space for me completely. Every aspect of my goodness you can be free from for for all eternity. That's being a child of wrath. But, verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God being rich in mercy saw us as spiritual orphans and said, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. And he came to earth, he celebrated at Christmas and he lived a life in our place and he died in our place. And when he died, We're going to receive communion in a moment, but I want you to see this cross as sort of an umbrella, okay? This cross is where the perfect justice and mercy of God meet. God's a just God. He's has God of justice. The, the guilty can't go unpunished. But what he did was he stepped down here to take on that just punishment in our place. And so if his wrath, if the wrath of God is coming on all humanity, there's one place where there's a shelter from that wrath pouring down on us. And that's the cross of Jesus. So I take shelter under it like an umbrella. Then that wrath hits Jesus in my place. And what I get to experience is mercy. That's what we're going to remember with communion and so that gives us no place to boast and to be self-righteous. We don't earn it by doing good out here and caring. But no, no, no. We, man, God's just God, and I get to receive this mercy. And so how can I not then go out and show that same mercy to others? But it starts with us accepting this. If we stand back, even in our church circles, even if in our life groups, and go, yeah, I believe Jesus died, that's cool. But we're standing from a distance saying, I don't really need it, though. Not me. That's for the guy over there with the addiction problem. That's for the guy who just screwed up his marriage. That's not for me. We're not going to get the shelter. God's wrath will come down on us one day. It takes for us to come under and bow our knee and go, I need this. I need this umbrella. I need the cross. I need to take shelter under this. And so I'm going to call the band up. And I'm going to ask us to stand and, and with the communion elements. You don't have to open it just yet. You could. We're going to receive it kind of in the middle of this song. The goal of this series, just so you know, is not us to sign up for things, give to stuff. We're not going to do that during this series. The, 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 we're taking the month of January to pray, God, what should be our priorities as a church and as individuals. Um, and so we're going to pray, hey God, how, how do you want me to, to live this out? How do you want me to give? How do you want me to uh, serve the world? What are you calling me to? But it starts with being called to Jesus first. It starts with celebrating and remembering that we have been adopted, that we were once children of wrath and been adopted. And that adoption cost Jesus his body, represented by the cracker, and his blood, represented by the juice. And so we're going to receive this together after we sing for a moment. But I'm also going to ask if there's anybody here who's ready. Today, to stop standing from a distance, looking at Jesus on the cross, and come under it for shelter. Come under it as your umbrella. And so we'll sing for a moment, and then I'll come back up.